0: Good morning. Man, it is good to see you guys and I hope you had a great uh, couple of days off and I hope that you guys are anticipating an incredible Christmas Um, and especially as we build up to that we'll begin our Christmas initiatives next week but we have some really cool things that are going to be happening this Christmas here at River Hills. We'll be celebrating and talking about the meaning of Advent as well as almost every Sunday we have a very special event. Uh, I know one day is pictures with Santa, but the one I'm most excited about is we're going to actually have a live nativity here on, I believe, the 16th of December. And uh, we're going to have all the animals and things like that, and Mary and Joseph telling the Christmas story. I think that's going to be really cool. So, yes, you can go pet the animals, okay? Uh, we won't have any spitting camels because they cost too much, but we will have donkeys, all right? Uh, so that would be a hee-haw good time. It is good to have you guys take your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Uh, we'll continue our teaching series through the book of Ecclesiastes. One thing I love about walking through biblical passages and walking through books of the Bible is that God begins to set the agenda. You don't have to come up with it on your own. And this morning, we're getting to a very applicable part of this text, talking about how we deal with uh, living in what we call occupied territory. I'll explain that in just a few minutes. And as we move through this passage, you'll begin to see how that applies. Um, as we give the appropriate definitions for what that means. Now, I do want to mention this. March 23rd weekend, you need to make sure you put this down on your ca- calendars. If you remember several years ago, we had a guy named Sujo John come in. You all remember this guy? He was a survivor of the Ra- World Trade Center. Uh, incredible testimony about how God protected him and used him during those times, and he's going to be back with us that weekend. Now, Sujo has an interesting testimony because he is a survivor of the World Trade Center And I don't know if you remember him talking about that. And as the trade center was falling around him, uh, he led about a dozen people to know the Lord right then. Uh, Amazing testimony about how he escaped and all the miraculous events that happened with that. Um, But Sujo is originally from India, and um, he is now he now has a ministry that deals with the trafficking issue, the slave trafficking issue throughout the world. And he's actually the day before he speaks on a Sunday, on a Saturday, he's going to be doing a conference. Here at River Hills, for all of our counties in the area, because it is a big issue here in the Atlanta area. And so uh, I encourage you to begin to pray for that. Invite as many people as you can to come to that Sunday because it is a neat opportunity to invite unchurched friends to hear the gospel from a person who really can communicate it well and has a fascinating story. But I tell you that at the beginning of our time together this morning is because Sujo goes into different areas to where he very much, as a Christian, is what we call occupied territory. He goes into the slums of of India and goes into places like Bangladesh and pulls young women out of these areas and rescues them literally from the atrocities in which humankind places on them. He's going to be in Warsaw the week before he comes to Winder. Isn't that kind of weird? It's like, hey, I'm speaking at Warsaw and Winder. And, uh, and so uh, it goes to different areas of the world and communicates a very difficult truth, uh, but in a way to where people grab hold of that and really to begin to apply the gospel. In every event and in every sequence of what he does in his ministry, he's very much in occupied territory. Occupied territory, in the way we're going to define it this morning, is living in such a place to where you are not the majority. And and to go a little deeper, it's when everything goes against what your core values are. Let me kind of explain this a little more. From, From a Christian's perspective, when we look at our culture... Everything, in a lot of ways, pushes against our core beliefs in Christ, right? Everything pushes against what we hold dear. Whether it be greed, whether it be self-centeredness, whether it be how we view the world, how we parent, what we allow into our homes, what we don't allow into our homes, what we objectify, what we idolize. In many ways, I don't know if you feel this way, From a cultural perspective, everything pushes against what I'm trying to live out. Do y'all ever deal with that? Am I the only one? And I feel like when I reach a point to where I feel like I've conquered those things, a week or so later, I slip back into the same patterns. Been there before? Anybody? And so, when we deal with this idea of occupied territory, you and I, if you know Jesus, actually live in a non-Christian environment, in a secular environment. This shouldn't surprise you. Um, the world in which we live in very much isn't Christian. Now, it's not something we get angry at. It's something we need to negotiate and learn how to deal with. Now, from a political standpoint, and how many of you guys can praise the Lord with me? We don't have to see any more political ads, at least for the next several months to a year. Anybody excited about that? And uh, we can. That's, that's really good. Um, and from a political standpoint, I get asked, almost daily as a pastor, what my political standpoints and views are. And I thought it would be important this morning for me to share that with you. Is that okay? That way everybody knows. Are you all ready for this? My political viewpoint is Jesus. (laughs) I don't talk about politics, and here's why. There are people in this room that voted for the right and voted for the left, and when we get to heaven, we're going to find out we're all wrong, right? (laughs) And and we want to minister to people, regardless of where they are, on the political spectrum. But as we deal with our present-day climate, and especially with the 24-hour news cycle, politics, government, power can be very much a place where we feel like, as Christians, we're in occupied territory. You follow me on that? Because if you look at it, from my perspective, regardless of what side you vote on, i got problems with everybody. <laughs> everybody. Until Jesus comes back as a Christian, you will. And so what we're going to try to struggle through this morning is how do we negotiate life in occupied territory? Now, your occupied territory may, may not be from a political standpoint, okay? Uh, your occupied territory may not be from a cultural standpoint. It may be occupied territory for you, Maybe what you deal with at home. Maybe you're married to somebody that doesn't know Christ. And how do you deal with that? Maybe you go to a workplace that's very hostile maybe to your faith or pushes against you and what they're asking you to do. Maybe it's your neighborhood. And, and listen to me, if you live in a neighborhood, you have people in your neighborhood who are very much don't know Jesus. And how do you struggle with that? Because it's really easy to get frustrated with neighbors, right? I love what Mark Twain said, high fences make good neighbors. And some of us need some very high fences, agreed? And so how do you deal with that? How do you struggle with all this stuff? How do you, comp- how do you negotiate these things? Well, what we've learned so far from the book of Ecclesiastes, there's two ways of living life. There's the way of living under the sun, which is a manward direction. And then there's the way of living under heaven, which is a Godward direction. The author is saying that he's attempted to live out everything from a manward perspective, living life under the sun. And he's come to the conclusion that when you live life under the sun, your purpose, your reason for existence is meaningless, meaningless. What's the rest of that phrase, church? Everything is what? meaningless now here's the thing though and here's your problem here's my problem as a person who tries really hard to live life in a godward direction i don't get it 100 of the time but it's on my mind y'all with me on that and i hope it's on your mind too we live life in a realm where everyone else is living under the sun you follow me on that so how do we do that and how do we do that in a significant and wise way Now, last week we studied Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and we skipped over verse 19. And I want to throw that up on the screen here for a moment, and I want you to read that text. Ecclesiastes 7 19, the author makes this statement wisdom makes one person wise, makes makes wise makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Now we could interpret that and say, if we're living out in wisdom, we're more powerful than leaders. We're more powerful than ten countries combined or ten mayors or however you want to define that. But when we look at it from a biblical context and what we learned last week is while we're trying to attempt to live in a godly fear and godly wisdom, the reality is wisdom has its limits and we have to depend upon the sovereignty of the Lord to carry us through what we learned and how we interpret that text to simply mean this. It's not that you're going to be more powerful in might, you're more powerful in mind. You follow me on that? And we can all 100% agree if we take at least one government official among the thousands there are in this country, I bet most of us in this room can say, I'm smarter than that person. Right? I hope you can. But you're not more influential. Right? You don't have the swagger or the influence to make things go your way like they do. So that leads us to the question. Again, how do we live in occupied territory? How do we live out in wisdom in occupied territory, knowing that wisdom has its limits, knowing that God has a plan? How do we do this? Well, Jesus gives us this answer. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he, he says this statement, and he's sending out the disciples to go out into the world to express Christ to people who don't know Christ. And he makes this statement, I'm sending you like sheep among what? All right, right, let's, let's wake up, church. Here we go. I'm going to do it again. I'm sending you out like sheep among what? Wolves. Now, wolves are mean. Would y'all agree on that? Now, I like to look at wolves. I like to see them at the zoo. I like to read about wolves. I like to watch documentary on wolves. I'm excited that the wolf population is making a comeback. We even have wolves in the southeast now, believe it or not. That's kind of a good thing. But here's the deal. I don't want to hang out with them. Would you agree on that? I don't want to get eaten. I think that's important premise to live in in life. Don't get eaten by a wolf. Okay. That's truth, that's jeopardy, whatever you want. But here's the deal. In our present context, living among those who are counter-Christian, whether politically, culturally, integrity, whatever it may be, it's like living among wolves. And Jesus says, as you do this, therefore be shrewd as snakes and be as innocent as doves. Now, what does that mean? Well, to be shrewd as a snake means to be clever. And to be as peaceful as a dove means to demonstrate peace as you live your life, to be clever and to be peaceful. In occupied territory, that's what we're called to be. Now, when you think through Scripture and you think about snakes, the biggest snake that comes to mind is in Genesis chapter 3, right? That was Satan. That's not what he's saying. Don't be Satan, okay? That's something else you can put in your pocket and remember, all right? But the thing about snakes, and this is where the metaphor even begins to follow through, snakes are clever. Snakes are sneaky, right? Any of y'all ever have one sneak on your garage? Ever, yeah. Anybody ever, sneak one, ever have one sneak into your house? Anybody have that happen? Move! <laughs> I hate snakes, you know. <laughs> I hate snakes. A friend of mine was in Africa on a mission trip several months ago with a couple of friends of his. And they were staying in a hotel in Kenya. And uh, they, they got done... Uh, with a day of ministry and came back exhausted to the hotel room. And it was just like a regular Holiday Inn Express hotel. Uh, not Probably wasn't a Holiday Inn Express. I don't know what it was. But it kind of put that in your mind. And uh, one of the guys goes into the restroom. He freshens up and comes back out. And the next guy goes in. Goes in for about 15 seconds and comes out screaming bloody murder. There was a black mamba curled up underneath the toilet and had been there the whole time. Reason number 867, I ain't going to Africa. All right? sneaky, clever, and the thing is what he's calling us to be in those moments is as you live your life, don't be an impulsive Christian when your faith is pushed against, you follow me on that? Now I have a, this is personal for me because I get really fed up with angry Christians, all right? I'm just going to be really honest with you, we ruin our testimony all the time around the world because we're angry and I'm not saying don't stand against something, what I'm saying is don't be a jerk about it, okay? But be clever, be thoughtful, but at the same time, be peaceful. And so when we bear down on this in the context of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, there are three three points of application we can draw out of this text because he's transitioning us through this whole mindset of as you live your life in occupied territory, this is how you do it. The first one is this. Let's go to chapter 8, verse 1. Notice what he says here. Get this. Who's like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its heart appearance. And what he's saying here is this. When a person experiences wisdom, everything changes. Everything. Now, how do we know when we've experienced wisdom? We go back to Proverbs, and we understand Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. We learned this last week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord means you know God and you have reverence for Him and you express Him and you submit yourself to Him. How do I do that? I ask Christ to come into my life. You follow the train of thought, right? You know Jesus, you fear the Lord, you become wise, and that changes you. You get that? Y'all follow my train of thought there. So here's our first point, and this is what I want you to get to. If you're going to negotiate, if I'm going to negotiate occupied territory, whether it's politically, culturally, at home, at work, At school, your hope can't be in anything else other than Jesus. You have to hope in the right thing. And the problem is, if you found yourself, and guys, this is is the danger, especially with the 24-hour news cycle. As I find myself sometimes watching the news, and I get madder and madder and madder. And y'all do this? Y'all ever done this before? Maybe you have an off day, maybe it was just Thanksgiving. You're watching this, and this world is going nuts. I am angry. I am bitter. Look what they're doing. Da, 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 all this stuff. Listen to me. Hope in Jesus. And that begins to subside. Make Christ your first priority. Because the reality is, there is no kingdom of man that's going to bring us fulfillment. There is nothing we can create that's going to satisfy totally. You follow me on that? It has to be something greater. And when our hope is in the right right place, and our hope is in the right things, we're able to encounter occupied territory in such a way is that when things push against our faith, push against our value, push against who we are, we can say, this is not the end. This is not my end-all, be-all. This is not my life. So that begs the question, where is our hope? Going back to verse 1, let's read it again. Notice what it says here at the very end of it. A person's wisdom brightens their face and it changes their heart appearance. Guys, reality is we can mope and groan about how life is and how culture is. But this should not be unexpected. The person we worship They beat him and they crucified him. What makes us think we're different? Follow that? And this was the religious people doing that. Our hope has to be in the right thing. Our hope has to be in the right thing. Can't be in your marriage, can't be in your employment, can't be in your government. I'm not saying don't pour into your marriage, okay? I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't be a patriot. I'm not saying don't vote. I believe in all that stuff. But what I am saying is your hope first and foremost needs to be in Jesus 100%. Can I just pause here for a moment and say that baby is the sweetest sound I have ever heard in my life? Can we, just, can we agree on that for a moment? I mean, if you're a parent and you bring your child in the worship service, don't ever feel like this bothering me. I love it. In the first service, we had a kid out in the foyer scream bloody murder, and I just invited everyone to serve in Kids Cove, and uh, and so uh, I don't think we had any takers on that. Here's the deal, guys: we have to hope in the right things. We have to hope in the things that are greater than the things that are temporary. Several years ago, I heard a story about an Irish nobleman. And this Irish nobleman was going on a long journey. He was a lord of his lands. And he had a huge castle, and he brought his servants together, and they said, look, I'm going to be gone for several months. While I'm gone, I want you to protect my investment. I want you to protect my castle. And so build a massive wall around my castle, and when I return, I'll know that everything that I have that's of value to me will be protected. So he goes on this journey, comes back months later, and there's no castle. Nothing. there's a beautiful wall, but no castle. He brings the servants to him and said, what happened? Well, you told us to build a wall. We built a wall. But where's the castle? Well, dear sir, why in the world would we go all over looking for stones when the best stones in Ireland were built in that castle? So we just tore down the castle and built the wall. How many of us tear down truth in order to protect it? You follow me on that? How many of us tear down value, tear down hope in order to protect it? See, the gospel is very important for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4 The Apostle Paul makes this statement, and I want to kind of demonstrate to you guys that this morning. Notice what he says. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is so important. As you struggle with culture, as you struggle with the political climate, as you struggle with resistance at school, at home, at work, remind yourself of the gospel, which was preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. What is the gospel? Get this, starting in verse 2. Understand, by this gospel you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach you, otherwise you've believed in vain. Now, verse 3, this is the gospel. Notice what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. You get that? According to the scriptures, and in verse 4, he was buried, and then he was raised. Now, let's go back to verse 3. Notice what he says: This is the gospel. This is why your hope is so important. Christ died. You get that? Verse 4, Christ was buried, and now Jesus is alive. That's our hope. So question, do you have hope? Everything else culturally, everything else in this world is going to tear us apart until we have hope in the one who created hope, and that's Jesus. And to negotiate and live life in such a way to where we understand as living in occupied territory how do we maintain our Christianity? How do we maintain our, our spiritual growth? First and foremost, we have to hope in the right thing. The second thing is this. Let's go to verse 2. Notice what happens here. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Now, let's stop here. There are a lot of laws. There are a lot of rules and regulations I don't agree with. Do you? I mean, let's just say, do you pay taxes? Everybody nods your head yes. Then you don't agree with a lot of the rules and regulations that we have, right? There are a lot of things. Just as a moment of transparency, uh, this past Thanksgiving, while visiting my in-laws, I got pulled over and got a speeding ticket. I know you're like, oh, my pastor speeds? No. Well, maybe. And, uh, but here's the problem, okay? Now, look, guys, I want to say this. There's a lot of you guys in law enforcement here. I love you. I'm a, I, I, I serve somewhat as a chaplain for Bear County Sheriff's Department. I lead a Bible study every month for the Winder Police Department. I'm good friends with a police chief. I'm good friends with a sheriff. My dad's retired law enforcement. I love law enforcement guys. But when I got pulled over for that moment, I was ticked. Y'all ever been I mean, look, I've been pulled over a lot. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Um, and, there, you know, it was a speed trap. Uh, for, I've been going down the same road for 20-something years, ever how long my wife and I have been together and we're dating because I got pulled over in the entrance to her parents' neighborhood. There is nothing more bitter than driving two and a half hours doing the same thing you've always done for the last 20-something years, and as you turn it in, you get pulled over. So we had picked up my wife's grandmother on the way. She's sitting in the front street. My wife's sitting in the back seat. My son's sitting in the back. I'm driving. My daughter's already at my in-law's house. We get pulled over. He walks up to the window on my... My, my grandmother's side well, I rolled down the window and he says you know what you were doing and I'm like driving, you know nothing did you know you were speeding I sh- yes I saw you and I just went as fast as I could you know that kind of stuff no I didn't know I was speeding, no he said so it's a 30 mile per hour zone and I saw the speed limit sign I had no idea, 20 years no idea, I said well how fast was I going he said 55 that's why I'm going to be calling my buddy the sheriff tomorrow morning I'm like, at that moment, I mean, normally when I've gotten pulled over my wife in the car, my wife gets mad at me. But praise the Lord, God has done a work in her life. She knows where to direct her anger now. She was angry at the officer. Who pulled somebody over at Thanksgiving? I know, right? Oh, God. My grandmother's sitting in the seat next to me, you know. And when the officer comes back, and he leaves, and, sir, I'm sorry, I was stupid, and here's my typical thing. I say, any mercy you can, you can give me, I sure will appreciate. And that always gets me out a ticket. And so he walks away, and he comes back with a ticket. And I'm seeing red at this moment. I'm like, I can see, I'm gonna see my in-law's house. I'm almost there. I've driven this road. I mean, you're not even from here. I've driven this road. I mean, all these things are going through my mind. And I'm gonna, I just want to unleash. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You just want to go, ah, if you were out there catching criminals, all this stuff, but you're pulling me over, and I got the old lady next. I mean, all this stuff's going down. There are three things I didn't there are three reasons. I didn't do that. Number one, my wife was behind me. Number two, I love Jesus. And number three, he was wearing a gun. (laughs) Now, I want you to remember that last one and go back to verse two there. Do you see that? Obey the king's command. Because I say, because you took an oath. There are some things in life, in occupied territory, you're not going to agree with. But you still got to do it. You understand? You still got to do it. And the point is, don't ruin your testimony. Don't ruin your testimony. And there are so many Christians, so many churchgoers that ruin their testimony because of a lack of integrity and kindness in living out Jesus because they don't agree with what's happening. You follow me on that? You've been there, maybe you've done this, maybe I've done this, maybe we've said some things, maybe out of anger we've stood against some things, but here's the deal. Out of a love for Jesus, you can protest and I can protest with compassion. You follow me on that? You can stand against out of love. But in the midst of that, and our calling is to be salt and light to the world, don't ruin your testimony. Read a little further with me. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. That means don't be impulsive. Don't tell off the officer. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? I mean, you're not going to march into the old office and say, Donnie, listen, what are you doing? Why? Because you're not the president. He is. You follow me on that? Now read a little further. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper proper time and what? Do you see that? This is why it's so important to be as clever, as shrewd as snakes. You know the proper time and procedure. You follow that? There is a way to do things. Don't do it the wrong way. A little further. And look. And some of you are like, Chip, you're just talking about government and politics. No, I'm talking about your house. There is a proper time and procedure to do things at home too. Right? There's a proper time and procedure to do things at work. Now read a little further. Verse 6, for it is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else What is to come? And since no one has power over the wind to to contain it, so no one has the power over the time of their death. And no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. What he's saying is your power and influence does not match the power and influence of those who are in charge. So don't ruin your testimony. Live out Jesus. You follow me on that? Live out Jesus. Don't ruin your testimony. But there's a third facet to this and a third step of application. Because it can become very anxiety driven when you're around this type of stuff. When you're living in occupied territory, it's tough, right? Agreed? It's tough. So how do you you know, I mean, yeah, okay, I won't say anything. I'll be kind. I'll hope in Jesus, but I'm about to flip my lid. Y'all know what I'm talking about. How many of you guys get on social media and just scroll through there and go, What a jerk, what a jerk, what a jerk. Defriend, the, the friend block, Defriend friend and block, you know, all that stuff. Or I'm gonna or if you're really feeling froggy, you get in there and go, well, I totally disagree with that. And you start a thread that lasts for 17 years and you lose every relationship in your life. Here's the thing in uncertain times, have patient faith. Okay? In uncertain times, have patient faith. Now let's read a little further. Understand what I mean here. Verse 9 All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt then too I saw the wicked buried those who used to come and go from the holy place and to receive praise in the cities where they did this this too is meaningless now we're getting to the gist of what he's saying here when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong verse 12 although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long life I know what it will go better for those who fear God who are reverent before him Now what he's saying here is this, when we fear the Lord, there is a faith that we have. You follow me on that? And regardless of what you see is any injustice around you, any uncertainty around you, patient faith means we cling to that faith, not get wrapped up in the uncertainty. You follow me on that? So whether it's your workplace, your home, your school, the political climate, the culture, It's all uncertain, but the reality is that doesn't mean we lose faith. In fact, it means we cling to it even greater. There has to be more. It has to be Jesus. And to negotiate occupied territory, it means we cling to our faith greater than we did before. You follow that? It has to be developed. It has to be nurtured. It has to be carried out. It has to be followed through on. We deal with uncertain times by growing and clinging to our faith. 100% 100% of the time. And so as we live out these lives, we have to understand that God is doing something we may not know about. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. We read this several weeks ago, and I want to refer back to this because this is a wonderful part of this passage. Chapter 3 verse 11. Notice what happens here. The author begins to talk about the sovereignty of God, begins to talk about the importance of who God is and what he's doing, and read what he says. He has made everything beautiful by when? In its time. That's an important word to remember. But then he goes on to say, he's also set eternity in humanity's heart. It, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's telling, let's start at the bottom. God is sovereign. We want more of him. And even in the midst of all this chaos, he's making it beautiful. In uncertain times, our faith is doing something. You see that? And as we negotiate. As we navigate all the chaos, God is up to something. He is doing something. So the question is this. Do we have patient faith? Where is our hope? And are we losing our testimony? But then that leads us to this question. Chip, are you telling me, whether it be a political environment, a home environment, a workplace environment, do I just compromise? Do I just sit and do nothing? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. What we're talking about from Scripture is how we act, how we live out Jesus in front of others, what we hope in. The author gives us a little bit more truth here in the following verses, so I want you to skip down a little further. Go to verse 14. Because I really want you to see what he says. And guys, this is a tough chapter of Scripture to discern. But understand this. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. What is it? The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. What he's saying is when life isn't fair, it's completely pointless. Right? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But the problem is, whether you're living life under the sun or under the heavens, all of us are mixed in together. All of us are called to do things. So I commend, in verse 15, the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then enjoy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God is giving them under the sun. And when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on Under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know it, they cannot really comprehend it. What he's saying here is this As we live life together with people who are under the sun and under heaven, understand this. We're doing life together. But that doesn't mean we compromise our faith. There are bankers who control your money that are living life under the sun. Do you realize that? There are bosses that control your employment that live life under the sun. There are people that are going to come and build your home. There are doctors that are going to prescribe medicine that you give to your children, all of which live life under the sun. Do you understand that? All of which don't know Jesus. But here's the deal, and this is why it's so important. While we do life together, whether We're enjoying life or not enjoying life. We can't comprehend how God is working things out. But we are called to be resistance in occupied territory. And Jesus makes this really clear. John chapter 17. I want you to notice what he says here. And he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's crucified. And he's praying for the church, meaning you and I. And he says these words. He said, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. Meaning, when you know Christ, you're not of the world anymore. Something has changed in you. You follow me on that? Then he goes on to say this in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Stop. Understand what he's saying here. Understand what Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is saying here. As a Christian... Your call is not to crawl under a rock. You understand that, right? Your call isn't for all of us to move and build a compound and we're all going to love Jesus together. There are people that have tried that. Here's the problem. There's sinful people living together and something bad is eventually going to happen, right? There's been countries that's been created on the premise that Jesus is all in all. problem is there's power, there's corruption, there's sin because there's people. Jesus' prayer is not that we leave. Jesus' prayer is not that we hide. Jesus' prayer is that we're protected. Then he goes on to say this, verse 16. They are not of the world, even, even as I am not of the world. And so here's the point. We don't compromise our faith. We set up a resistance for it. We may be in the world, but we don't have to be What? Of the world. You don't have have to be like it, but you do have to be in it. And the resistance is this. You be on mission for Jesus. And what I mean by this is that if you know Christ, your mandate, my mandate, my commission, our commission, the church's commission is to be salt and light to the world to convey Jesus to others. Now, this is a radical statement for some of us because some of us in this room are still investigating whether we believe in Jesus or not. I get that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But for those of you who are secure in your salvation and you know who Jesus is, understand this. All the stuff that's happening around us, the resistance, the resistance is that Christ, the resistance is that we become on mission for Christ. You follow me on that. Is that you communicate the gospel to other people. And here's where it starts. It starts at home. Now here's where I'm going to step on your toes a little bit. How many of us even in our own home have never communicated the gospel to our children? How many of us in our own home have not even shared the love of Jesus with those who sit around our supper table? Our Thanksgiving tables. Our Christmas tables, our small groups. You see, your mission field starts there. Then it expands to those you go to work with, right? And those you live next door to. And the bank teller that you see. And the people that you're around. Here's the thing. The resistance is the gospel. The resistance is not the protest. It's the Christian saying, Jesus saves. There's more to this life. The resistance is bringing more people into the resistance. You get it? You see, we act in such a way to where we don't compromise our faith. We stand against it. I vote certain ways. I speak out against certain things. But ultimately, it's the gospel that heals. It's the gospel that saves. And Jesus is going to make all things new one day. So hope in the right things. Don't ruin your testimony. You hear me on that? That is so important. And in uncertain times, have patience and faith. Have patient faith. You are in and not of this world. Therefore, the question and the homework I'm giving you today is simply this. Where is your mission? Where is it? If you are a Christian, you have it. You have it. Where is it? What are you doing about it? And this morning, some of you are here and you don't know Christ. You haven't found that peace and you haven't found that hope. And here's my answer to you on this. It's Jesus. It's asking Christ to come into your life to save you. A, B, C, admit you're separated from God because of the bad things you do. We call it sin. B, believe it. Jesus is who he says he is. He died on the cross to take the punishment you deserve. And he rose from the dead and then see, confess him, ask him to come into your life. And if you've never taken that steps of faith before, on the connect card that you are given, there's a box that says, this morning I want to ask Jesus to come into my life. And if that's you, check that box and turn it into the, the service. But for the Christian out there, here's my commandment, uh, my commandment, here's my commission, here's my encouragement to you, here's what I'm trying to live out myself, here's what I want to do, and I'm trying and I'm working hard on this. Where is our mission field? And then what are we going to do about it? Who are our mission fields? And what are we going to do about it? Let's start at home. And break out. Are y'all with me on that? So on your connect card or on your listening guide or wherever it is, write down this phrase. Where are are you on mission? And then right underneath it, where are you going to go? Y'all with me on that? What are you going to do? And then let's take the next step to activate that. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize we are totally and completely helpless. And we are in need of you to do something. And Father, as we live in occupied territory, it's really easy to get angry really easy to get impulsive, really easy to get frustrated. And so, Lord, I pray that as we don't compromise our faith and stand against things that may be evil, we do it in a measure of grace, and we do it in a way that the gospel is presented. And, Father, for those who may not know you, I pray they come to know you. And for those of us who are struggling, even in our home environment of living in occupied territory, I pray that the gospel would be present. I pray that we would have certainty through our faith not through our actions, that we have hope in the right thing and not in anything else other than Jesus. And that God strengthen us not to lose our testimony. May we be in and out of the world and demonstrate the power of Christ in what we do. In Jesus' most precious